Um, the Russian Yeti. Russian Yeti. I said that like Italian. <laughs> Baby Dibla. Mamma mia. <laughs> it's a Russian Yeti. <laughs> Italian Yeti. Does every ah. country have their own Yeti? I need to know. <laughs> it's a spicy meatball. <laughs> Goes well with vodka. I'm um, going home. Okay. <laughs> Good morning, good day, and good evening, sleepyheads. Good night. Good night. Welcome to episode eight. Holy cow! Of the Insomnia Report. We are a bee. Huh? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that meant. Okay. I just meant like if you get an eight out of ten, it's a B. Oh, like an exam. Yeah. Um, well, we're doing more than ten. Hopefully, we've passed. We I think eight is a pretty good number of episodes. Like. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're, we This will conclude our second round. Oh, my God. Our second cycle. That's pretty neat. That's so, super neat. I am Margo. And I'm Elizabeth. This is the Insomnia Report. And we're just two friends having a conversation. About the stuff? That keeps us up. At night. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Or like during the day. During your daydreams. Yeah. Can you... Have daydreams when you have insomnia? Whoa. Whoa. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just, okay. I don't know, but that's something <laughs> worth looking into. Hmm. Hmm. Note to self. If this is your first episode, welcome. If this is your eighth episode with us, welcome back. So happy to have you. Thanks for listening. Today, we will be discussing a wild card. So that can be anything from a conspiracy theory to just something completely random that we've thought was generally interesting. So I will go ahead and light the candle. If you could please tell me about what has kept you up this week. Well, I feel like we have a theme going with like TV and movies because that's pretty much all we do. Well, I mean, we're being responsible by not doing. So that's what we do. We're being the heroes by doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. I think about all the time. I'm like, this is the period. My my grandchildren are going to be like, Grandma, can you tell me about the great pandemic? And I'm like, well, it all started with a gorilla. And then I'll go on a tangent anyway. And then we stayed inside for a whole year. A whole year. (laughs) Yeah, we watched this movie called Devil All the Time on Netflix. Mm. It's a new one. Mm. Uh, Check it out if you haven't. But I only wanted to watch it because one of my favorite musicians is in it pokey lafarge i love him he's great um but the movie kept me up because i don't really know what it was about and it was (laughs) very violent it was very graphic it was very disturbing Mm -hmm. the acting was very good yeah it was a bunch of british people being southerners and their accents were incredible and the cast was really good like it was an awesome cast it had rob Rob Pattinson. <laughs> it had uh, Spider Man. It had uh, Peter Parker. No, no. Oh, oh, uh, Tom, uh, Tom Holland. Tom Holland. <laughs> Tom Holland. Um, 
The guy who played Dudley is in it, and he's insane. Uh, the girl who was Alice in Wonderland. I know them by their other roles. I Harry don't Melling. Oh, and It was in it. Oh, yeah. Bill, <laughs> Bill Skarsgård, Skarsgård, Sebastian Stan, Elizabeth Scanlon, who played um, Beth in Little Women. Yeah, so really good cast. Really interesting movie. I was very dark and disturbing, and I think the whole time I was like, sad yeah it made us very like anxious the entire time yeah so take that with a grain of salt (laughs) that is our movie (laughs) review the acting was phenomenal the plot was disturbing it was just uh no one was better from it right there's no (laughs) i mean spoiler alert but there's no real like resolution i mean maybe a little bit but like it it was good um but i wouldn't like suggest it to my grandma you know Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Ooh. First try today. Nice. That was good. I think that's a good sign. And also, I encourage you to examine the history of Thanksgiving and and the role that, um, you know, and what the, the real history of the holiday, aside from what we're taught in school, maybe that's something for a future episode. You know, I thought about it, but by the time we were doing... Like, the timeline of it mm. was closer to Halloween, Oh yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So Maybe next year. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? What's in store? Okay. Let's go ahead and dive in. Tell me your story. I will start this by saying, have you ever looked at something and just thought to yourself, how the heck did they do that with or without technology? I think about yeah. that all the time, like how they build skyscrapers or modern medicine like just how did they i don't know how do people survive without like what we have today it just blows my mind a lot of them probably didn't <laughs> right well but, I can... <laughs> but yeah no i i do that all the time especially with food which is why i spend a lot of time on like wikipedia pages about food right but like bread and beer and stuff they just like they didn't know about like bacteria and they just accepted that if you leave bread out overnight it would rise and just because it, maybe it was god i don't know i don't know what they thought it was but it was. anyway yes yeah uh, specifically you know when you look at ancient artifacts in in things like that so mm. my story today takes place in england so located in wiltshire in the southern part of england on the Salisbury Plain, 90 miles west of London, Stonehenge is located there. So stone obviously means stone, and henge is an old term for ditch, and there is a large ditch that surrounds the entire monument of Stonehenge. I did not know that. I didn't either. I thought the hinge was just like, you know, the arches, like, mm. you know, like a, I don't know, originally I thought it was like a door hinge or something. Yeah, I, it sorry. reminds me of like, like I don't know, like a hedge is like, or hedge is different from hinge. I don't know. Never yeah, mind. I just, I thought it was something know. about like the architecture, like a hinge or hinge or whatever. Mm-hmm. But no, it, it's like a, a ditch. Okay. okay. Is it a man-made ditch or is it like a, a natural ditch? Kind of to be an unknown because of okay. about like the structure of everything. TBD. So Okay. Okay. So Stonehenge was built in the Neolithic Age, which, for those of you who don't know, was the last stage of the Stone Age, which was around 3000 BC. 
So Stonehenge is about 5,000 years old. That's really old. That's really old. And Neolithic builders worked on Stonehenge for an estimated 1,500 years. So obviously it wasn't, you know, just built overnight, but it was like an ongoing process. That's a long project. Yeah, it's like I-95. Like never (laughs) stop working on yourself. Uh, (laughs) So there are many theories about what it was used for, but we'll dig into that later. However, the main thing that sparks curiosity and can still not be explained is how it was built. To this day, there are currently 93 stones that are visible at Stonehenge right now, uh, which does not count any that are missing or buried. Uh, So some of them are vertical, some are horizontal on top of the vertical ones. How many stones it originally had is unknown. The outer ring consists of sandstone. These bad boys are about 24 feet tall and weigh more than 40 tons. However, the inner ring is made up of smaller rocks built of blue stone, but scientists can trace these rocks all the way to uh, Priscelli Hills in Wales, which is 200 miles away from where it's located. So they move these giant stones that far? Yes. Now that wow. is the big part of the mystery, because I will say these these, I mean, I say they're smaller than, you know, the sandstone, but they still weighed four tons. And the big question to your point is how did they move them? And I just want you to know that this time period predates the invention of the wheel. Mm. You know? Yeah. Like you hear the term, we're not reinventing the wheel a lot in the business world or just in general. Don't want to reinvent the wheel here. Not trying to reinvent the wheel here, but can you please fix? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So they did not have advanced tools or resources. So Mm. it is thought that on the route, they created rafts to float them on rivers and then on land, uh, teams of men and and oxen rolled the uh, the boulders on logs, so they kind mm. of created like an ongoing mechanism where the you know like when you put your bag through the airport thing and there's all those rolly things. Oh yeah, they kind of made that sort of thing. Uh huh. But they're two hundred miles. Like even today, that would suck. Um, I wonder if like maybe you're gonna sorry maybe you're gonna like keep going with this, but I wonder if like. Since it's so, it took them 1,500 years to build it, if, like, they had, a like, one of these giant stones and they were, like, you know, moving it and then they, like, took a break and left it somewhere for, like, 200 years and then came back and, like, kept going. I don't know. Well, it wasn't, like, necessarily built in that, but it was, like, an ongoing project. Oh, okay. So, that's a good point, but it wasn't, like, you know, it took 1,500 years to build. It's just it was, like, continually being built on for that long. Good point. They also could have created slaves, you know, like Santa, mm. like, oh, <laughs> here's a boulder. Um, <laughs> uh, so lame. Okay. So in the year 2000, like, you know, 20 years ago, not 2000. <laughs> right. A group of volunteers tried to reenact this with a three-ton boulder over land and water from Wales to Stonehenge. So they tried to, you know, debunk this. However, the stone that was suspended between two boats in the Bristol Channel, you know, the sling broke and it fell into the sea. So it didn't work. They oh. they weren't able to like fully debunk it. So there's a three ton boulder in the ocean now. I'm sure there are. <laughs> there's just <laughs> one a lot boulder of rocks down there. I'm sure. Did you know that there are more stars in the sky than there are grains of salt on Earth? Um, 
grains of sand i mean that that my mind can't comprehend that yeah that was something i pulled from last the the solar system episode and i forgot to share that fun fact oh my god anyway do you know how many grains of sand there are there's a lot of grains if i pick up like a handful of sand (laughs) i don't i can't eat them in 1970 geologists believe that uh the rocks could also one theory is they could have been left by a glacier However, most scientists don't completely agree with this because how could nature deliver the exact number of stones that they needed? Right. You know, it's just a little suspicious. Here are some other theories. Okay. Tell me. They get a little wild. Like History Channel um, kind of show wild. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So the first one is magic. (laughs) 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 <laughs> okay yeah um what kind of magic merlin oh, so um <laughs> stonehenge was the handiwork of merlin and this was both in national geographic and history and i think those are pretty credible however i will quote this uh passage so stonehenge was created as a memorial to hundreds of uh britons who were slayed by the saxons so according to Geoffrey who created, you know, uh, the Knights of the Round Table, like that story and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, The wizard Merlin supposedly directed the stones for the monument by to, like, form the Giant's Ring, which was a stone circle with magical healing powers said to be located in Ireland. So he teleported the stones to that location because it was, like, significant to where the ritual happened and they wanted to bring it back to the land. Okay. In the 17th century, archaeologist John Aubrey said that Stonehenge was the work of the Druids. So we're coming full circle. Oh, yeah. Uh, And people to this day still gather at Stonehenge every year for the summer solstice. However, in the 20th century, evidence showed that Stonehenge predated the the Celts a thousand years. So that kind of debunks that. However... As I mentioned, present-day Druids still view this as a sacred spot. Like, every year, people still gather around to to view the sunrise or sunset on the solstice. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. I think that should be on our bucket list. I would love to do that. Um, Another theory is it could have been an ancient Roman temple. Uh, That was really all that that was. Mm -hmm. Were the Romans, like, a thing in 3000 BC? I actually have no idea. I guess it was, like, early, like kind of similar to the Colosseum in that way. Mm-hmm. So, the, mm-hmm. but I mean, that was just something I, I read on, like, all I right, think it was history. Right. So they just said it could have been, but they, it didn't really go into that. It was just mm-hmm. a theory. Okay. Um, aliens? See, this is what I was expecting for, like, the <laughs> History Channel show, because yeah. that's literally <laughs> all the History Channel is now. It's like, did these aliens build the pyramids? Well, kind of thing extraterrestrials with superior knowledge of science and engineering landed on earth thousands of years ago is is a thought so they could have like come down and shared their expertise with early civilization uh and help them build architectural wonders such as stonehenge or the egyptian pyramids or easter island uh so that is something that's kind of around you know those times and everything or or they're so advanced for that time 
It's also considered that for ancient alien theory, Stonehenge is a model of our solar system. A number of other explanations have been offered for aliens, you know, helped create Stonehenge because the stone circle served as a landing point for spaceships. I mean, that's like another theory. So those are just some of like the other theories just because it's so bizarre that, you know, 200 miles away with no technology, like that would still take a long time even with a car, you know, so and, you know. They weighed like three elephants, right? And there's no wheels. I just, I just, you know, that's they just. They don't some... even have wheels. I don't have a wheel. What's a wheel? <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a wanker. I don't even. <laughs> Never heard of it. A wheel. I don't know her. <laughs> Is that a woman? No, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. With I that. think she's from Yorkshire. <laughs> anyway, so. There are only six remaining arches of the outer circle, but if all the stones were complete, it would create a 30-meter diameter. So each arc is locked with grooves and joints that you would kind of see in woodwork, Hmm. which was very advanced for this as well. So it's kind of like Lincoln Logs, the way it had like a crevice and they like stacked. So the tops of the stone also create the illusion of a continuous ring there are also a couple aside from like the arches and the the ones that make the parameter of it there is an altar stone which lays flat on the ground which is partially buried between two stones that have fallen uh there's also one called the slaughter stone great uh (laughs) great uh and this is at the entrance of stonehenge it has a small depression on the surface, and that is every time it rains, water kind of collects there. Now, what's kind of eerie about this is the rainwater reacts to the iron in the stone, and it turns the water a rusty red, which is why oh. it has that name. But some people think it could be like the... Um, residual energy of like the blood that was spilled there like coming out so that's spooky but if you're into science it's because of the iron in the stone anyway (laughs) back to our program (laughs) there is a heel stone which is a boulder that stands in isolation far away from the monument so what's weird about that one is it is surrounded by its own circular hinge so it has its own like ditch around it Oh. So we don't know, like, what the significance of that one was, but it's completely far away from, like, the the rest of the monument. So that raises the question, what was it used for? Historians can agree that it was a place of significant importance, and there's a lot of archaeological evidence that Stonehenge was used as a burial site. Wow. It could have served for other functions as well, such as ceremonies, religion, a rest in place for royalty, or even a way to spiritually connect with ancestors. In 1960, astronomer Gerald Hawkins suggested that Stonehenge operated as an astronomical calendar, and it uh, had direct points which also corresponded to um, events such as solstices, equinoxes, and eclipses. Wow. So that's kind of where the theory of aliens come into place because 
there was not a huge study of the stars at that time. Uh, and, you know, because everything kind of lines up like a calendar, it's like how, how would they have known at that time? They didn't have a wheel, you know? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, so the aliens would have had to have taught them that information. Right. I mean, uh, who knows? With these theories come two major debates is if it was a holy site or if it was for scientific observation. Both theories are based on celestial influence with how it aligns with the sun and the moon and how evidence or rituals with the changes of season occur. Mm -hmm. However, research has found that it was most likely a burial ground for cremated bodies. In 2008, archaeologists suggested that Stonehenge was a center for healing, a prehistoric version of lords that attracted the sick and injured, because a lot of the skeletons recovered around that site show signs of injuries and illness. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, so it's thought that the area outside of Stonehenge was more for the living because there was like rivers and I guess, you know, just kind of based on what they were able to find. And they think Stonehenge was more of like a, a cemetery type thing. Mm-hmm. In 1920, this is very interesting, they found bone fragments and evidence of cremation. However, at the time, they thought that they wouldn't be able to do anything more with it. They thought it was, like, kind of useless. It's like, okay, like, yeah, there's, there's like, evidence of this, but we can't really do anything, so they buried it again. Um, but now British researchers has re-exhumed more than 50,000 cremated bone fragments. Wow. Which represents 63 separate individuals. Wow. So because it was created by a culture that had no written records, uh, there are many aspects of it that remain subject to debate. My ending note that is kind of a fun fact is in the 1880s, Darwin actually studied earthworms here, and he (laughs) concluded that they were the reason that the stones were sinking. Really? Yeah. Because they're just, like, living their worm lives underneath and, like, moving around. and (laughs) I'm just living my best worm life. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. So. Thanks, Darwin. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of unknown about it. I guess the biggest mystery is how it got there, like, what it was for. There's so much unknown because it was 5,000 years ago. That's so long ago. So, my plan is there's, like, a lot of documentaries about it, so I want to learn more and maybe have a follow-up but it was just something that i thought was like how did how did they do it and it's so mysterious and like right you know they they found a lot of like mounds which could have been like burial sites too um we actually went there as a family like in 2011 and the energy there was really weird Mm. just just very interesting i i couldn't really find anything about you know, if there was any other evidence of, like, myster- mysterious energy, I think, like, it's it's well known to kind of be mysterious. I think mm-hmm. it's mainly because there's so many dead bodies there, so anything with that would probably have weird energy. Yeah. Um, but again, we don't know. There's, like, not even any engravings on the stones, kind of, like, if... Or if it has been, it's it's obviously withered away. Mm-hmm. Or, like, if it was originally a shelter... And it had, like, a wood roof or something. Like, we, we just really, we don't know. Hmm. 
Um, so. What do you think happened? Or, like, what do you think it is? Do you have I, any theories? Well, I think it was Merlin. No. Uh, of course it was. <laughs> I mean, I think I believe in aliens. There, I said it. I mean, I don't think they want anything to do with us. I think they're just like, ooh, <laughs> this is not my mess <laughs> to clean up. But I just think it's really interesting how advanced it is for the time, especially because it was, you know, 200 miles away. Right. Or, you know, it's it's thought that it was like a site for royalty. But, you know, it was like the end of the Stone Age. So I, I don't know. It's, it's yeah. just one of those things that we will probably never know until science evolves to the point to where we can go back in time and, you know, mess with the timeline. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I don't know. That's a whole other can of worms. Well, Darwin would agree. <laughs> hey. hey. Okay. Sorry, that was short. No, no uh, thanks for sharing. I literally know nothing about Stonehenge, so. Yeah, I didn't know. That's super interesting. Okay, so. <laughs> I what? saw this year that they live-streamed the summer solstice event. Yeah. At Stonehenge. Yeah. And uh, it draws in almost like a million people every year. Oh my god! I would so, love to go. We should do that. Let's let's do it. Let's. I'm not going to suggest like sacrificing anything, but do they normally do that at the summer solstice? I don't know, but uh, apparently, like, uh, there's one arch that, like, the su- on the solstice, like, the sun rises in that arch, Whoa. which is like really weird. That's really cool. So, like, like I said, they were able to like get it aligned. It's like some kind of calendar. Or, like, attract things, which is really advanced for that time because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah. When I was in Malta, I saw a couple of similar stone structures, and they had, like, the same thing where, like, on the certain on the equinoxes and stuff, the sun would rise mm. and stuff. And it's, like, it's so interesting because it's, like, all over the world there are these structures. Yeah. And no one really knows anything about them. Yeah. So, like, Stonehenge, I believe, is, like, the biggest and obviously well-known, but there's, Mm. like, a a couple of different similar ones around England and all over the world. So, that itself, I I feel like it probably is, like, some kind of burial ground, but I think it's interesting that they, pardon me if it's ignorant, but I guess, like, the fact that they did cremation back then. Yeah. Like, I thought that was very interesting. That is very interesting. Which kind of freaks me out. It's like, was it some kind of, like, mass thing? You know? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, they had fire. They didn't have a they wheel, have but they fire. had fire. They had, they had I'm fire. just stuck on this wheel thing. I'm just like, God. Like, <laughs> that is, like, to me, the first thing <laughs> right. I think of. It's like, we're not inventing the wheel. <laughs> well, anyway. Actually. On the contrary. <laughs> All right. I've talked enough. Uh, Will you please tell me a story? Yeah, I will. Mine didn't take place 5,000 years ago. Oh, no? You said this one freaked you out, so I'm really excited. Yeah, you may or may not have heard of it. So this one takes place in 1959. It takes place in Soviet Russia. In Soviet Russia. Right. Was that an accent? Was that okay? That was. It was an accent. We it have an accent. If we, to our Russian listeners, hi. Oh, we uh, have two hi. of them. It's really um, cool. We have a lot of international listeners, and I think that's so wild. Like, how did yeah. you find us? What did? What is this? Spasibo. Thanks for <laughs> listening. Okay, 
So, yeah, our Russian listeners have probably heard of this. But <laughs> this takes place in the winter um, of January, February 1959. So a group of 10 students goes camping. I already hate it. <laughs> yeah, it's always like the camping stories, right? Because like, I like yeah. camping. Me too. Well, it it was less camping and more of a three-week long cross-country ski trip that is very different from camping <laughs> but okay. like they're camping at the same time got it got it so got it's it. it's kind of an extreme like adventure thing but i feel like for russians it's probably normal because it's like i don't know <laughs> it's just like a thing i i i've okay this is i'm sorry i've like ne- i've never been to russia the closest i've been to russia is i went to ukraine in in february in and yeah i don't know i'm getting off track Okay, so on January 23rd, 1959, 10 students boarded a sleeper train in a town called Sverdlovsk, and this this town or the city is now called Yekaterinburg, okay. but during the Soviet era, it was called Sverdlovsk. I'm probably butchering that. I'm so sorry. That sounded pretty um, convincing. <laughs> so... They they all went to the Urals Polytechnic Institute, which is basically like a science university. Cool. And they were going into the Ural Mountains for a three-week cross-country skiing trip. Fun. So, they're, well, it was actually more like two-ish weeks. They had a 16-day itinerary, and they were going to cover 190 miles. Jeez, okay. So, this was like really hardcore. So I'm going to introduce you to the students involved here. Uh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm going to butcher these names. But um, Ludmila Dubinina, she studied economics and she was a very serious person and a very passionate young member of the Communist Party. I mean, who, who wasn't in the Communist Party in Soviet <laughs> Russia? I think you had to be. Yeah. Um, and then next we had Yuri Krivonyshenko. He studied engineering, loved telling jokes, and played the mandolin. Oh, I love that. Yeah, me too. I, I really want to learn the mandolin. And then Rustam Slobodin. He also studied engineering. He was pretty shy and a long-distance runner. Good for him. Mm-hmm. And then Alexander Kolovatov. He was studying nuclear physics Wow! and worked at a secret institute in Moscow, mm. which is like very intense. Yes. And then um, Semyon Solotaryov, he actually was the only one, he was kind of like the odd one out because he was a 38-year-old sports instructor. Okay. The rest of them were like 20, 23, you know. Was he the one like leading the ex? Mm-mm. Okay. Mm-mm. And then we have Yura Doroshenko. He studied power economics whatever that is. Uh. I don't know what that is. And then Zenaida Komogorova, she studied, I think, radio engineering. And then Nikolay Thaibu Brignol, he studied engineering, and he was the son of a French communist okay. who was rep- repressed by Stalin. And then Yuri Yudin, who studied economics. And then we have the leader of the expedition, Igor Dyatlov, and he was a, studied radio engineering. He was a super experienced a- athlete. He was, like, doing expeditions all the time, um, like, you know, in nature and whatever. 
and he wanted to get into cosmonautics. Cosmonautics? Yeah, it's a Russian astronaut as a cosmonaut. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so he wanted to get into the into space and, and, I don't know, stuff. One fun fact I found was that, so there were eight men and two women, and one of the women, Zenaida, she was once the girlfriend of Yura, who was once studying power economics, um, but they broke up a little bit before this trip, and she was super nervous to go on this trip with him, because she's like, you know, we broke up, like, is it going to be weird? And it's going to be weird. It's always weird, you know. Um, but she originally fell in love with him when they did a trip together before, and he chased off a bear with a geologist's hammer. That's so sweet. I know. I love that love story. I, me too. <laughs> Meet cute. All right. So it's January. They're, I bet it's cold. It's so cold. <laughs> They're on this train. They sang songs, sweet. and one of them played the mandolin. Right. Um. They got into an argument with a guy who accused them of stealing his vodka. Uh, They sang songs about love. It was very cute. Okay. And then January 25th, they spend the night at a town on their route called Vizhay. And they saw, um, they went to the movies and they saw an Austrian musical about ice skating. That's precious. It's cute. It's cute. And then a truck, they, they like hitched a ride with some truck that dropped them off at a logging base called the 41st Settlement. And they, like, hung out with the lumberjacks and stuff and talked about their favorite movies. This doesn't sound real. It, so- it sounds like it sounds so fun. <laughs> I mean, it, it won't later, but, like, right okay. now it sounds really fun. <laughs> um, and then they rented a horse-drawn sleigh because it, it's, like, very snowy. They're kind of in the middle of nowhere. I can show you a map later. But, like, Russia's gigantic, right? And they're right. just, like, they're they're in the mountains, you know. And so they hired a horse-drawn sleigh to carry their supplies the last 15 miles. So they used the horse-drawn sleigh to pull their stuff 15 miles to this abandoned mining settlement. And it was, like, really rough going. Like, you know, it's freezing. It's – they're going – very far and one of the members of the group actually decided to go home because he was having some kind of like weird nerve pain i guess he had some kind of problem with that so he left it was yura yudin was the one who left and then they kept going and their goal destination was called mount ortatin which means mountain with swirly swir- swirly whirly no <laughs> mountain with swirling winds is that what buddy the elf had a swirly <laughs> twirly gumdrops uh if only if only <laughs> yeah so it means mountain with swirling winds in the language of the mansi mansi and they are an indigenous group who lives in russia um in this region there are actually 45 different indigenous groups that live in Russia. I had no idea. Me neither. Hmm. But they heard reindeer and stuff, so that's what that's they do. That's so cool. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing a connection. <laughs> also in the area, there was once a very violent prison camp. Oh. But not a lot of people tried to escape because it was so remote right. and the weather was so bad. So it, it like gives you an idea of kind of the conditions that they're in right right now yeah i don't know why they picked this route but they did okay and then they skied for a while next to the river and then they on february 1st pitched a huge nine-person tent on the eastern slope of this mountain called kolat 
Siakul, which apparently means mountain of death. Oh. So that's good. What and, a cute little spot. Yeah. It was it's kind of weird that they pinched their pitched their tent there because it's there's not a lot of tree cover. It's pretty exposed. And yeah, and and they also dug a shallow pit to shelter them from the wind. So that's where they pitched their tent. So then they were supposed to return to their base on February 12th. And once they had gotten there, they would send a, a telegram um, to their families to letting them know that they made it back from mm-hmm. their trip. But no one heard from them. and But no one was really worried at first because it had happened before that they'd had bad weather and they'd been delayed. So no one was that concerned when they didn't hear from them not right away at not least. right away and then on february 20th though their families were like okay like something's wrong yeah because that's a week after yeah right so they were worried and they notified the authorities and um, let the university know because they were all students at the the science university the technical university so then the university sent out student volunteers but like it's a huge search party basically and they had to fly them in on helicopters so they did that and they found their ski tracks and then eventually they found the tent which was covered in snow and they had to use an ice pick to uncover the entrance of the tent because uh, okay. it was all frozen all right Good inside start. they found blankets backpacks boots and like their supplies and stuff um vodka mm, of course of course they found a plate of um it's called sallow it's pork fat that I guess is a typical food, especially for hikers. They found it sliced on a plate. They kind of looked like someone was going to eat it, but left it there kind of thing, like in a rush. Like, okay. That's eerie. Yeah. And the tent had been cut open from the inside. So someone on the inside of the tent had had a knife and like slashed through it. Okay. Which like is they, also they really couldn't weird. escape. Yeah. Interesting. Something like that. Yeah. I already don't like it. Yeah. All right, so outside the tent, they found frozen footprints made by eight or nine people, and these people were either wearing socks, a single boot, or were barefoot. Ew. And no. they, they went for five to ten meters and then disappeared. The footprints? Mm-hmm. Mm. And then all the footprints were leading away from the tent and towards um, some woods, and they were consistent with people who were walking at a normal pace, not running or, or anything like that, okay. which is really bizarre. Right? That also, yeah. And it would have been probably at least negative four Fahrenheit at this point. And pe- they're saying that they found barefoot footprints. Mm, don't love that. I'm, already, ugh, I'm yeah. in cozy socks and my feet are like <laughs> shriveling up like, nope. Yeah. For our non-U.S. listeners, that's negative 20 Celsius. Thank you for okay. converting. You're welcome. So the search party ended up drinking the vodka they found in the tent. <laughs> okay. I mean, you can't let good vodka go to waste, you know. What's what's cheers in Russian? Nostrovia, I think. Nostrovia. I don't know. Yeah, one of the accounts from one of the people who were searching, he said, we were about to drink it when one guy turned to me and said, best not drink to their health, but to their eternal peace. So they pretty much figured at that point they wouldn't find them alive. Yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, it was freezing. Right, right, right. It's a fair fair estimate there. Pour one out. So you can probably imagine what they found next. I'm guessing dead bodies? Yes. Okay. So they first found the tent on February 26th, and on February 27th, they found the first bodies. 
there were two corpses near a cedar tree. These were Yuri Doroshenko and Yuri Krivonoshenko. Both were just in their underwear, mm. and Yuri had bitten off part of his own knuckle. Okay. So we're off to a great start. Love that. Next, they found Igor Dyatlov. He was the leader of the expedition. Okay. He was dressed, but he didn't have shoes on, mm. and he was face down hugging a birch branch. Oh. All right. Mm-hmm. Do you think he was, like, hiding in the tree and it fell? Maybe. I, I have no idea. I don't know. And then they found Zinaida Komogorva. Gorova. She was nearby, and from the position of her body, it looked like she'd been trying to scramble back uphill towards the tent. She had um, a long red bruise on the, her right side, and it kind of looked like it was made by a baton, like a police baton. Interesting. Yeah. A while later, on March 5th, they found another one, Rest, Restum um, Slobodin, and he had a fractured skull. He wore a long-sleeve undershirt and sweater, two pairs of pants, four pairs of socks, and one boot. One boot. And his watch had stopped at 8.45 a.m. Okay. It's always so eerie when that happens. Yeah. Mm. I know. It is. It is. And then, so the Mansi, the indigenous people who lived around there, um, actually found the rest of them in May, once the snow had melted. Oh. So Nikolai uh, Thibu-Brignol, he had a fractured skull. Alexander um, Kolovatov, he had a wound behind his ear, and his neck was, like, twisted at a really weird angle. Mm Mm-hmm. And then um, Ludmila Dobinina, she had multiple broken ribs, and sorry, this is kind of graphic. Her eyes were missing. Her eyes were, her eyes were missing. Yeah, and then Semidan um, Zolotaryov, they found him too. He also had broken ribs and missing eyes. What the heck? And oh, mm. I for- I'm sorry, I forgot, I forgot something. Okay. So, I'm sorry. So, Ludmila Dubinina, who had the broken ribs and the missing eyes, she also had a missing tongue. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah, I know. It's really, it's really weird. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm going to keep going. I'm, I'm going to keep going. Um, that's, like, the weirdest thing. So, just, just so you know, like, okay, we've hit that point you. and now I, we're, right, we're, we're going to keep going. Cool. Okay. Just, you're right. Just keep going. All you right, gotta go, keep going. Go. Okay. Thank you. So Semyon <laughs> Solotario. Um, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be laughing right now. <laughs> this is really sad. He also had um, broken ribs and also he was missing his eyes. Um, and he had a wound on the right side of his skull that was very deep. So it exposed the bone on his skull. Mm. So these, these were the state of the bodies that they found. Okay. And this was the Monsi who found them. Yeah, they found the last four. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they find these bodies and everyone's like, what? Like, right. what happened? This is so weird. You know, this is so strange. Yeah. And the official cause of death they ruled for all of them was hypothermia and frostbite. But that doesn't really account for the weird, like, injuries that they had. So at the end of February, a criminal case was opened but was closed three months later because Russian officials just concluded that, quote, the spontaneous power of nature was to blame. For missing a tongue and eyeballs? I guess. I guess. 
nature <laughs> nature calls give me your tongue um, yeah i mean yeah so the investigation was classified until the 70s classified and then they started to classified that's very suspicious so yeah the biggest mystery then is what happened yeah the, what happened right what happened all of their parents thought that the deaths were somehow related to the military mm-hmm that's what I would think, too. Which is, like, reasonable. Also, you know, in Russia during that time, there's obviously, like, huge mistrust of the government because because of everything yeah. going on. So people didn't really believe the official cause of death, like, was the whole truth. No. 100%. No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. So right away, a lot of people blamed the Mansi. They thought that it was, like, they killed them mm. for some reason. And so Soviet investigators came and they interrogated a bunch of people in the Mansi community. And they might have even tortured some of them. No, stop. Yeah. But they they didn't get any proof. They couldn't pin it on anyone. So then they were like, hey, can you help, actually help us look? I'm, <laughs> um, I'm sorry that I uh, yeah, lashed sorry, out there. But actually, I, I need your help. Tortured you very violently. Um, but And so then that's when they found... The bodies. Mm. Some people still believe it was the Mansi. One Mansi elder recalled that she remembers in February of that year that she saw a bright burning object in the sky. Oh. And she described it was wider at the front and narrower at the back with a tail. Hey. And there were sparks flying off of it. So no one knows what it was, but the village elders at the time thought that it was a bad omen. Well, I don't think it's good right well it obviously was not <laughs> um there were lots of rumors in the city where they were from that they had happened upon some kind of experiment or something like a military experiment because especially because like at their funerals and stuff their skin was a weird color it was like the color like a like a rusty color kind of like bricks oh um and some of their hair turned gray oh but also, that can partly be blamed on, like, being frozen for a long time. Okay. Kind of, it, like, like kind your of body. mummifies you a little bit. There are a lot of people in Russia, or maybe not a lot, but, like, a few who are kind of obsessed with this case and, like, really trying to figure out what happened. This one guy named Yuri um, Kuntsevich basically turned his house into kind of, like, a museum shrine. Um, That's weird. He has a lot of artifacts and stuff. And he thinks that they were the victims of a military experiment. He thinks that their bodies were actually, like, taken somewhere else and then brought back by, by a helicopter and, like, placed to make it look like they had frozen to death. Like, it was all staged kind of thing. Oh. Yeah. And according to some documents from the former prosecutor, Lev Iv- Ivanov, who first investigated the whole thing, um, and led the investigation. He, okay, so this guy, Lev, the, the lead investigator, he was very, like, he really wanted to know what happened, very determined, right? He was asking everyone detailed questions. He was talking to the forensic scientists. He's like, what happened? They told him that um, it had something to do with an explosion wave, but... What explosion? I don't know. Okay, I don't know. But then people think that so then after a while, he stopped asking questions and kind of, like, put the case aside. Like, backed up a little. Yeah, and people think it was because his superiors were telling him to. Okay. Um, 
like because if he had said no they would have sent him to like you know i don't know they would they would have they probably would have killed him yeah or imprisoned him or something yeah and he was actually transferred to a really small town in kazakhstan then it was classified for a long time so it's yeah it's really weird uh yeah some of the students clothing had traces of radiation hmm after they discovered all the bodies, they put up a makeshift morgue in a nearby town, and it was surrounded by KGB officers instead of the police. Okay. And nobody was allowed in. I... Mm-hmm. And then before they did the autopsies, this like huge barrel of alcohol was delivered, and at the time, people would use it to protect themselves from radiation. So they would like strip naked and basically cover themselves in this alcohol. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's a sign that maybe there was something else going on. Maybe. Yeah. And around the time of their deaths, apparently lots of animals and birds were found dead. And locals were told not to use water from their wells. They had to bring in water. I am very uncomfy. Yeah. This is it's really this weird. Is weird. And reindeer herders were banned from the area. Um, for four years after the incident. Four years. Mm. My goodness. Yeah. And some, like, they took samples from some of their organs, but then those mysteriously disappeared. The organs? Or, like, the samples. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the tongue's missing. I, mean, I, I know. It's, yeah, it's weird. So there's over 75 different theories that people have put forth about Okay. This. All right. I'm not going to go through all of them. Wow. One is poisonous rocket fuel, question mark. <laughs> um, one is shockwaves from a low-flying jet. Or one is a Russian Yeti. Actually, so they have a lot of photos, I can show you later, of the students because they brought cameras with them. They mm-hmm. were kind of, and they had journals and stuff. They were like writing in their journals, documenting the trip. They're like, oh, we're having so much fun. And we're taking pictures, and they have this one picture that looks kind of mysterious that looks like like a Yeti. Here it is. I'm scared. Hey. Oh. Wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, maybe, but also... Well, it's doing, like, the Sasquatch walk, you know? Who knows? Another theory is alien abduction. Hey. Which would... Which? The light. You yeah. Know? Yeah, right. Like, UFOs and whatever. Some people are like, did they? Were they murdered? Maybe someone murdered them. Maybe, I don't know. maybe by the government. Yeah, right. Who who knows? With the like weird tongue thing and eyes, people think maybe wild animals kind of That's, did that. I've I've never heard of like animals just going for that. Right. You know. Right. I'm skeptical. Yeah. Others include an avalanche. But um, wouldn't they be buried? Well. But Some the of them. Tongue. I know. Did she find a metal pole and like it, and then like the avalanche came and it's just like. <laughs> so the locations of where the bodies were, like some people have theories about, you know, there was an avalanche. You know, some of them maybe weren't wearing the right clothes because they were sleeping and they ran away and then, um, they got separated kind of thing and um, so. Um, and you know, some of them were wearing like multiple clothes, so they thought maybe like they'd taken the clothes from the others. Oh, um, like they had died already yeah. and they took it to keep themselves warm. So sad. 
I know it's it's really sad like to think about because they're so young they're in their 20s like us and it really yeah it makes me I, honestly just really sad no that's terrible because yeah. either I just I can't imagine like survive oh god I don't mm-hmm. and they were all really good friends too so that's horrible like, like yeah. mm. I can't imagine that dude at all. no yeah other theories which there's one actually that really stands out to me um this isn't it but one theory is a catabotic wind which i have never heard of i have not no but it's it's i don't know i can't explain the science behind it but it's like a very strong wind that are like very violent wind but they're very rare and i think at like in mountains and stuff it's like a sudden wind okay and it would have probably like freaked them out or something or like blown their tent away or you know it would have it kind of like the avalanche or like the sudden kind of nature of nature okay another one is infrasound explain so okay so this is another wind theory but basically if there's this kind of wind like going around the mountain it can produce this sound like generate these sound waves that cause panic attacks in humans oh is that what i've been experiencing (laughs) it's been the wind perhaps perhaps (laughs) another theory is paradoxical undressing so apparently when you are hypothermic sometimes Mm -hmm. your brain you know you know brains are strange you know brains just like sometimes they if you get like isn't it when you get to a certain point of, like, freezing your body, things are actually overheating? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you take off your clothes, mm-hmm. and then you are colder. Um, So that's another theory about, like, why they weren't really wearing clothes. But mm-hmm. the one that I think is most interesting is, so it is, like, a Soviet military exercise having to do with parachute mines. And these are mines that don't explode on the ground. They explode in the air before they hit the ground. And... Maybe they were, um, didn't know that there were people there or something, and it was like a military exercise where they're like exploding these mines for some reason. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't know. They're like testing the mines. Got it. Basically, apparently they produce injuries similar to the this, the ones that they had. Missing eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't know, but like it, like internal damage. Okay. And this actually makes kind of sense because remember people said they saw glowing like orange things in the sky okay so that's that's one that i think is really interesting but of course there are so many more what's interesting is that on that same note according to um one journalist in russia she's written a lot about this um but she thinks that if they'd been killed by some kind of military experiment, then the military would never have allowed, like, ordinary people, like, their friends and stuff to join this search party for them. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Which makes sense. Um, And she thinks that, like, the theory that, like, they took their body somewhere else and then brought them back kind of thing doesn't make sense, or, like, they did something to them on purpose doesn't make sense because she thinks that one of the people involved, like, in the military would have talked or, or let something slip at some point since then. Mm-hmm. She said, I thought this was cool. She said, quote, we live in a country where nobody can keep any secrets. 
I mean, that's not like cool, but it's it's kind of like an interesting take, basically. Yeah. Okay, but so what's what are also really interesting is that in 2015, or I'm sorry, in February 2019, the mm, Russian officials recently, yeah, Russian officials reopened the case. <gasps> oh, yeah, but okay. they're limiting their investigation to three possible causes, which are all connected to extreme weather. So they're investigating either an avalanche, a falling slab of hard-packed snow, or a hurricane. I don't know. I don't know how close they are to like. Maybe hurricane is a translation thing. I don't know how close that is to water. I don't know if hurricanes can happen in in that sort of climate. But anyway, or or maybe just like a really bad storm or something. Um, um I'm skeptical. Yeah. So. Yeah. You don't you don't reopen a case for weather. Yeah, but that's those are the only avenues they're pursuing. Okay. So. Well, I'm not gonna argue yeah. because I don't want them to kill me. So, <laughs> also last year, one of the they exhumed one of the bodies to examine it, and some people are trying to petition to get more of them exhumed so they can like investigate it again. Yeah. There's also like randomly there's a Polish video game about the Dyatlov Pass. Um, I don't know if I'll play that one, but... Well, and it's called Dyatlov Pass because of Igor Dyatlov, who was the expedition leader. They named it after him. And there's, like, a concrete, um, like, memorial there. Oh. Where you can go see. I mean, you have to, like, snowmobile it out there, but you could I, if I you wanted to. Mm-hmm. I'll, so, I'll yeah. stay home that's, for that one. That's the Dyatlov Pass. Holy cow. That is, um... I am full body goosebumps. Yeah, I, uh, there's so many questions. Um, Yeah, it's really weird. That's just so sad. Like, Mm -hmm. first of all, I can't imagine being on a trip with your friends and having it just go so south. I know. I can't imagine that. Eyeballs in the tongue. I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I got most of my info, by the way, from um, a really cool BBC article by Lucy Ash. Okay, cool. So check it out. Well, thank you for that. That is definitely a wild mm. card. Thank you for yours. You are so welcome. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. By the time this comes out, it'll be um, a couple. It'll be Thanksgiving week. So we hope mm-hmm. you have a wonderful holiday. We're thankful for all of you. So um, thankful. I'm thankful for you, Margo. Oh, I'm thankful for you, Elizabeth. Aww. Oh, so sweet. Look at that. So tender. <laughs> um, stay safe. I'm, stay healthy. Yeah. Please. Please. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Tune in next week where we will be covering paranormal. Uh, do you want to tell them where to find us? Yes. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you can email us at theinsomniareport at gmail.com. Share your stories with us, or if you have ideas about a future episode, give us a holler. We want to take your requests. We want to talk about what you want us to talk about. So Yeah, we love it. We love it when people have feedback about our episodes. So yeah. if you just want to say hi, you know, drop us a line. You yeah. know where to find us. We would also love to give credit to the artists that have helped us. Our theme music is composed by Colin Whitlish, and our production of music is by Justin Toom. And our cover art is by Erica Chase. 
I'm Margo. And I'm Elizabeth. This is the Insomnia Report. Stay sleepy. Stay sleepy and good night. Good night. <laughs> Sweet dreams.